Welcome to the Sisterhood of Healing podcast, the podcast that wants to help you reach your best and most divine potential. Each week, we dive into topics concerning inner healing, wellness, and spirituality. We discuss strategies and practice from our own personal experiences regarding higher energies, trauma, and connecting to the divine as we take you through our own personal journeys to discover the highest versions of ourselves. In combination with guest speakers, we bring you a comprehensive guide to mental and spiritual wellness and the ability to connect to yourself and the world around you on a deeper level. I'm Nicole. And I'm Christina. And we are two sisters who want to take you along on our spiritual and healing journey. We are each on our own individual healing and spiritual path and bring unique perspectives regarding yoga, chakra healing, meditation, intuition, and trauma healing. Sometimes life is messy, sometimes it's confusing, and sometimes everything falls perfectly into place. Join us as we navigate the path to divine enlightenment together. Today's episode comes with a trigger warning. We will be discussing violence, domestic abuse, sexual assault, and homicide. Welcome sisters, brothers, and non-binary listeners to episode 10 of the Sisterhood of Healing podcast. Today, we have guest Ashley Michelle on the podcast, where we'll be discussing finding strength through tragedy. Hi, Ashley. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for joining us this week for this episode. Thank you so much for having me on. It's an amazing honor to be on your podcast. Of course, it's so nice to get to connect with you again. So for our listeners, Ashley and I went to high school together and we've kept Yes, and we're on student senate together. (laughs) (laughs) That's really how we um, developed our friendship was through student senate. Um, But yeah, we've kept in touch through like the last decade following. Yes, we have. And it's so (laughs) nice to have you as a guest on our podcast this week. Well, it's amazing what you guys are doing. I find it really admirable. Oh, thank you so much. And we feel the same about you. Once, um, you know, Nicole had kind of filled me in on where, like the direction of your life over the last couple of years. And um, I think your story is just like one of so much strength and, and triumph. And we really admire what you've done with that experience. So we're, we're so so grateful to have you to share that with us. Well, thank you. So do you want to just start off by telling our listeners a little bit about yourself, maybe uh, what you do for work, um, and tell us your story? Yeah, so my name is Ashley, uh, like I've said already, and I have a YouTube channel. It's called Ashley Inspires. Um, I also have put together of course, um, I released a book called Finding Strength Through Tragedy. Um, and I also started on TikTok, Ashley Inspires as well. Um, so I've just had a lot of amazing opportunities. And if it wasn't actually for Sunil Godsey, who I was on his podcast with Intuitionology, and he's the one that kind of was like, send me your book, because I had told him that I wrote a book. And him and his team are the ones that are behind everything. So they're the ones who've given me this incredible opportunity in order to help others and raise awareness. 
Um, I've also volunteered with the Children's Hospital here in London in the past. So on Christmas Day, I would go and like give them bears and Easter, I'd give them like bunnies and stuff. So, but COVID happened. So that kind of pushed things to the side. Um, it's just been about helping other people um, through so much tragedy. I really believe turning pain into strength. Um, and yeah, that's been kind of my journey for the last little while. Wow, that's incredible. So your your book's called Finding Strength Through Tragedy. Tragedy, correct. Um, can you help to give us a bit of a definition or like an understanding or how you have um, kind of used the word tragedy? Like what, what does that mean? Like, could you give us a definition of it? Yeah, so it's crazy. Like it didn't really take me too long to come up with this title at all. Like I knew right away because I kind of was talking to a friend about how, you know, I'm, I'm trying to turn all this pain, like I said, into strength. Um, so that's kind of where tragedy came into play. Um, obviously, I went through something very horrific, and it it was trauma. It was awful. It was horrific, and I wanted tragedy to be in there because yes, it was a tragedy, but I'm also in. Yes, I understand where people are coming from when they say, "Oh, I'm sorry for what you went through." And, but at the same point in time, I wouldn't be where I am today without that tragedy. I wouldn't be who I am today. I wouldn't have all this information um, around, you know, statistics and, and around how many people actually go through what I went through. Like, what I went through isn't just an Ashley situation. It's a worldwide epidemic. There are survivors of crime nationwide, worldwide. So it definitely gave me a lot of insight and most importantly too is something that I will never forget and again this is where tragedy kind of came into play and it really opened my eyes huge was when the police sat me down they didn't ask me what happened right away they asked me if I would make them a promise to not turn to the streets for drugs prostitution etc and for them to come out and say that to me was an eye-opening experience right then and there because that just tells you the statistics for survivors of crime to turn to the streets for drugs and prostitution and so I really that was like an eye-opener right there and that's kind of where tragedy comes into it because so many people fall into that tragedy trap and they end up turning to negative solutions rather than a positive one like when I see someone now put a needle in their arm, I don't ask myself why not. I ask myself why. I ask myself what tragedy did they go through to get to that place? Or when I see somebody that's homeless, I don't ask myself, oh, they're a drug addict. No, now I have awareness around it. I think to myself, what horrific event did they go through in their life? What tragedy did they go through in their life to get to on the streets? Did they just lose their family in a fire and now they have nothing left? Um, so it, I think tragedy has just been so insightful and it's definitely been an eye-opening experience, an eye-opening opportunity because now I have more insight, more knowledge, more understanding around what tragedy actually looks like. You know, tragedy is, 
someone who has gone through the unspeakable, the unthinkable. And, you know, there's tragedy where you can turn it into strength. And then there's the dark tragedy where you don't end up turn, seeing the light. You end up, you know, thank goodness for me, I had a terrific support system, a terrific support network. But there are people that don't have that or that don't see their value or don't see their worth. And that's tragedy in itself. Wow. That's right there. I'm just, I am speechless in how powerful your words are with what you just said. And you use the word opportunity. And you said that people can take their tragedy and, um, and I'm paraphrasing kind of what you said. So, uh, like live, like continue to like live out this tragedy or they can see it as an opportunity. And I think that's exactly what you did. And it takes, incredible strength to do that and like you said having that support system around you is so crucial um but I I think that it's possible even like without a support system um to I would I would hope that people can still find the strength to do that as well like there's just because you don't have that support system not all hope is lost but I think what you've done is incredibly amazing and I know like even with a support system, I'm sure it was still incredibly, incredibly difficult, but I admire you and commend you for, for taking this tragedy and seeing it as an opportunity and just growing from it. And in the, the little bit that we were speaking before we started recording, it, it, like, I'm just like mind blown of what you've done with this. It's just so incredible. So yes, I commend you for that. Well, thank you. Like, Honestly, I had to, I had to really step up and, and help other people. Cause it didn't sit right with me that there are like 14 and 15 year olds, even nine year olds, eight year olds that witnessed these horrific unspeakable events. And that just didn't sit right with me. And like, who's to say like that's someone's sister, that's someone's brother, aunt, uncle, cousin. And I just, I can't sit back and, and do nothing about something that is so huge. And it's, it's growing more and more. And it just, I needed to take action. I needed to step up because I never wanted someone to go through what I went through or feel stuck or feel alone. I want somebody that's going through this to reach out to me and, and ask me for help. And so far, that's been my mission. That's been my goal. And I've had people reach out to me. I've had people in domestic violence situations reach out to me and ask me for help. I actually had someone from the States who was in a similar situation as myself. And I, all I did was be a listening ear for them. And then I provided them with a bunch of resources um, so they could get the proper help because I said, counseling is vital in really focusing on yourself is huge. And it's not selfish to put yourself first because in order to have any kind of healthy, successful relationships, you really need to put yourself first and you need to take care of you and you need self-care is, is vital and you need to find what your passion what motivates you what drives you because that's how you're going to start your healing process is when you have the best relationship with yourself that you can yes yes yeah <laughs> yeah that's that's something that like we like with what we're doing in our project, that's something that we focus on too. And like something that I've realized over the last year and a half is like how, how important putting yourself first is because, and I think as women too, 
society tells us that if we put ourselves first, it's selfish and you are not like shame on you for thinking of yourself first. You should be putting others first, but that's when we get into all kinds of situations, whether it's um, mental, emotional, spiritual, physical, that we don't want to be in, but we've kind of been boxed into. Yeah, we have to be our best selves. That's how we're going to have successful, healthy relationships going forward. That's how we're going to find healing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. you need to um, like uh, fill, fill your own cup, cup fill your before cup. you can pour into other people. Yeah, and I, I think too, when people say you need to love yourself before you can love someone else, I've, I've heard that contested where people say, oh no, like, you know, someone, you can be broken and someone come, can come in and help you with your healing. But I think there's a lot of different levels to that. Like you have to understand that it's important to put yourself first, even if you're in the healing process um, of learning that. I think just that realization of knowing that you deserve love first is important, regardless of where you are along that, like that healing journey, that process um, to, to learning, to becoming whole, to wherever, wherever it is that you're headed. Yes. You really have to self-evaluate and you really have to self-reflect and, and ask yourself those deep, meaningful questions. Like, what is it that you want out of life? What is your short-term? What is your long-term goals? You really need to make a plan for yourself and you need to stick to that plan. Yeah. And I think it's hard to remain consistent too. Sometimes, you know, there's all kinds of pressures around you. Sometimes it's hard to even be honest with yourself. Like I know, like yes, me, like I wasn't being honest with, <laughs> with myself in like situations in the past. And, and that's what kind of gets you into to hot water. Yeah. And learning what your boundaries are. Yeah. And not allowing to overstep those boundaries. But then that's I think boundaries are huge. I think really like again, asking yourself those hard questions, like, is this person serving a a healthy purpose in my life? If Mm -hmm. they're not, then you need to cut ties with them. Like that's what I had to do. And I don't care who that is in your life. I don't care if that's your family member, if you need to cut ties with them because they're not serving your purpose or they're not helping you get to where you need to be, then you need to cut ties with that. I had to do that. Like all that's left for me, for my family is my aunt, my grandma, and my cousins. That's it. I had to cut ties with anything that wasn't serving my purpose. That was harming my growth, my journey in order to get to where I need to be. That's I very think it's strong of you to have that mindset. Yeah, that's very strong of you to do because I know like a lot of people say, oh, but like, but their blood, like how can you cut blood out of your life? But if those relationships aren't serving you and they're, they have more of a toxic role in your life, then there's no reason to keep those people around you. No, no. And I- I think you use the term, like if it's not healthy for you, like we know that, you know, drinking poison, that's not healthy for you. Why would you do that? We know that eating a lot of junk food, that's not healthy for you. Why would you do that? We're so conscious of what's physically healthy and not healthy for us. We forget about what's mentally and emotionally healthy. And it's so easy for us to just be like, oh, like, like you said, it's, it's blood, like blood's thicker than water. It's, It's your family. How could you do that? But Family can be unhealthy for you spiritually and emotionally, mentally as well. Mm-hmm. It, it really, it really can be. It can be pure toxicity. 
And like, I really strongly believe that family is what you make it and what you choose it to be. Like my family are the people that showed up every day at the trial for me. Those are the people that I have so much respect and, and admiration for and who were honestly, like they gave up weeks of their life to be in that trial every single day for me. And that's something that there's no amount of gifts. There's no amount of appreciation to show them for mm-hmm. how much it meant to me to have them by my side day in and day out. Yeah. So you mentioned trial and we don't, um, we don't want to sensationalize your story as we had mentioned before we started recording. We want you to be here to tell your story um, and to explain to our listeners how you've healed from that tragedy, but are you able to tell us a bit about your story? And that's just going into as many details you want to. Yeah, Yeah. no, um, absolutely. So I'll actually explain something to you a little bit deeper than that. So I really, in counseling, I really, really had to dig deep. And I know personally from self-reflection is my trauma didn't start in 2016. It started at childhood. It started by like voices raised in my house. It started with my biological father slapping me across the head and calling me effing stupid. Um, and it, and it escalated and then it was like being bullied and in school and everything else. And then it was being in a toxic relationship in college, which was physical, mental, emotional abuse. And then it slowly, it began to rise again. So a couple of weeks before the 2016 incident happened, I was actually jogging on a trail in broad daylight, thinking nothing of it. And I was assaulted in the park. And then a couple of weeks after that is when the incident happened with my ex where he murdered one of his friends and then tried to murder me in the process. So I got a call around 5.30 in the morning. Um, he asked me to come over to the deceased's apartment. That's where he was staying at the time. Um, also, he did have keys to my house too. So quite scary when you think about it. And so I went there, it took him 45 minutes to meet me. We went upstairs, he locked all the doors from behind me. Um, And then it was horrific. And I knew that the only way, and this sounds kind of strange, but from watching criminal shows, I knew that I couldn't show fear. I knew that I had to be cool, calm, and collective, as messed up as that sounds. That was the only thing that was going to save. So I had to like kind of talk him down. I had to like kind of calm, be that calming voice in that situation, which was the most difficult thing ever. But my fight or flight kicked in. And I said to myself, like, you want to get out of here? Don't you dare show fear. You'll get killed. Um, I was assaulted. I was um, strangled. Um, all my blood vessels around my neck were swollen. Um, I had a knife pointed to my back. I had sponges thrown at me telling me that I better clean up. I was told to shut the F up. Um, it was, it was horrific. I had my pants pulling down multiple times to try to have sex with me in the apartment, which obviously I said no to. Um, I had my phone taken away instantly. 
um, I had all the locks locked behind me. And that was another thing too, that I really had to, um, so he got charged with forceful confinement, um, uttering threats. And uh, there was one more charge that he had. Anyways, he said that he would not plead guilty to um, the forceful confinement that I could leave at any time that I wanted. which was horrific when my crown attorney told me that. And she's like, well, you can go through another trial if you want to, but it's not going to add any time. And so every day before the trial too, this is how messed up our criminal system is, that what ended up happening um, was he got double time and a half served for every day before the trial. Um, He can apply for full eligibility in 2030. (laughs) Wow. So that wasn't a life sentence that he received for the murder. No, he actually, so he wanted to plead manslaughter, which we all know manslaughter is like an accident. Accident. Yeah. This was no accident. I don't know how much information you have um, read about this, but uh, in the trial, I found out new things that I, I didn't know because for the pre-trial, you, I couldn't stay. I could only give my statement and then I had to leave. But for the trial, I could stay and hear the full thing. So the deceased actually died from blunt force trauma to the head and the neck. And um, he was beaten to death and he was alive for two to three hours and he watched him die for two to three hours. Wow. So there's negligence there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There is, there is no ownership at trial. There is no, there is no nothing. Wow. I, I'm, I, I, I'm I, speechless. Yeah. I'm so sorry that you had to go through that. Thank you. That's, a, that's a lot to live that experience and then have to relive it at trial and then Go. Oh, not only that, after trial, uh, you now have to fill out forms again, and you have to retell your story um, to the um, wow, to the board um, that deals with uh, parole. So the parole board, essentially, I had to fill out paperwork with them. And now, like, this is like a life sense for me and the deceased's family. Um, so now we get parole packages in the mail. So we get like testing scores, we get all that information. So it's, it's a lot. Um, I mean, it's overwhelming. Like I could be having a a great day and then all of a sudden receive one of these packages in the mail and you never know when you're getting them. And so I always like, if it hurts this bad for me, I can't imagine what it's like for the deceased's family. So I always reach out to them and tell them I just got a package in the mail. So that'll be they're somewhat prepared and they're not, you know, totally like not in the loop um, or surprised when they do get it. So I, I try to be as much as a support for them as I possibly can be because um, they were an amazing support system for me. They said, if I had to go through another trial, they would be there for me every day. Um, they've had me over for Christmases, um, just incredible individuals. Oh my God. Um you mentioned how like difficult it was to tell your story over and over and over again. And I, I cannot even begin to imagine that. Um, now that you have taken this tragedy that you've experienced and you are 
building from it and you've used it as a source of strength is telling and pardon me if if this is an ignorant question to ask but having grown from that and using this to help others is telling your story at all has it changed in the way you tell it in the way you feel when you tell it or is it I don't know how to I don't know how to word how to word this but is it now uh, that you're using it to help others is it more of a source of strength or is it still just as difficult as painful I think it's a teaching tool and a teaching lesson for other people um it's it's definitely hard to you know tell the story but at the same time I think if my story can save one life or however many lives that it can save it can bring that awareness factor then that's that's the only goal no matter how hard or difficult it is for me to tell my story at the end of the day it's not about me it's about helping and inspiring other people it's about getting my message across and I you know what this may sound like kind of conceited, but I, I never once thought of myself and I never once did. You know, I always thought about the deceased's family. I thought, how could they go through something so horrific? I mean, even when I, like, after the incident happened, I, I went, a, well, it was like a couple months after, I went back to the hospital to volunteer. I've gone to kids' funerals that their parents know that they're dying of cancer, et cetera. And I can't imagine how hard it is then and then how hard it is to get a knock on your door saying your child was murdered. Like no matter what the situation is, I don't, I commend them and I give them so much strength because I could never imagine going through something that horrific. Not to say anyone's trauma is worse than anybody else's, but to be a parent and know that your child is not coming back when you know that in your heart that you're the one that's supposed to be gone first, not your child. Yeah. No matter if they're, you know, eight years old and have cancer and die, or if they're 25, 26 and murdered, it's horrific. Wow, that I feel like everything you just said, it just speaks to you as a person. Yeah. You are so kind-hearted and thoughtful and always putting others first and you've not once identified yourself as a victim really like you've you been know what as a sorry go on victims. yeah which is so empowering thank you very much um but the word victim it's funny that you use that I hate that word so so much and let me tell you why I don't think any single person is a victim. I never once looked at myself as a victim. I think that people that go through trauma, tragedy, something so horrific in their life, I think that that is strength like no other. I think that you are a survivor. I think you are a warrior. I think that you are courageous. I think that you are brave. And we need to start using the positive context rather than the negative context. Because when we use words like there goes the victim, that degrades someone's self-esteem, self-worth, confidence, everything is degraded. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, put a positive spin on it. Wow. <laughs> okay. I just, I just, 
I knew you, so you were Nicole's friend growing up and I knew, I still picture you, Nicole's like, we're going to talk to Ashley. I pictured you as this little 15 year old girl. Still, <laughs> I was 20, you were 15, just pictured you as this little girl and to, to know what you've been through, my heart breaks, but to, to see how you've come out of that. I'm just like, wow. Like I just look up to you so much for what you've been through and your perspective on it. Like, and it's, I have no words. Like, I'm just so awe-inspired by you right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I'm having a hard time not crying right now, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, especially because we know you and you never want to see, like I said, you're Nicole's friend, but I mean, Nicole, I care about Nicole's friends. So to, you never want to see someone that you care about in pain or to have to suffer in any way. So to, to know that what you've been through, it's, it makes me emotional, but it makes me even more emotional in a good way to see how you like the strength that you found from this. It's just incredible. It's just incredible. Yeah. It, I'll tell you, like, it wasn't always that way. Like in October of 2016, before things actually it was the weekend of Thanksgiving, I tried to end my own life. And I thought to myself, I thought how selfish could that be on my part when the trial was coming up? Like I needed to my only purpose and my only goal in this was to have justice be served. And I would love to tell you that that happened, but at the same time, I don't feel like that happened because I feel like I don't understand how you get double time and a half served every day until the trial. I think it's absolute bullshit. It's mind blowing that that's what happens after something so horrific. Like, I don't understand. How you can come out of jail and you can have a family you can have kids you can how is that even possible when the deceased is never going to get those opportunities he's never going to get to walk down the aisle he's never going to get to have kids he's never going to get to experience any of life's amazing opportunities so why should somebody that took that away from him get to experience that that's what i have a hard time with mm-hmm. and i think those are probably the most difficult things to process about this whole thing the like the whys like the things that aren't fair the things that are beyond your control and and like like I showed up for trial I you know I gave my testimony I did everything I should do I'm I'm a good person I'm helping others how is this fair that like how do you how do you how do you deal with that like how do you deal with that sort of injustice how do you process those things because I imagine it's incredibly frustrating among other emotions well uh so after the trial happened there was the victim impact statements so we gave those statements and we had an overwhelming amount of statements so that really didn't do much on the whole you know time served mind you um but then when he does get out or does apply for full eligibility then we give another impact statement so i think just including all of this in my impact statement about how I feel and why I feel it um, hopefully will give some ramification um, and will help somehow Um, I don't know that it will like I mean I wish I had more power and control over our justice system but unfortunately that's not in my hands I don't get to make those final calls or those final decisions do I think it's right that he can apply for full eligibility in 2030 no do I think it's right that he sat on the stand and said that he found God now? <laughs> like, I don't, I don't think that makes you a patron saint because you found God. And then 
and you get to work out. This is the thing that I struggle with too, is this is what our tax dollars go to. So he can, like, I love the gym. I love the gym. I would live there if I could. And he can work out two to three times a day. That must be nice. I'm lucky if I can get to the gym once a day. And then he can take courses. He just got his GED, et cetera. Like, come on, give me a break. Like, I, I can't take a course because it costs too much money, but you can, you can get courses and, and you can do all that. Like, it's just, it's mind blowing. And then he gets, he has a job in jail and he gets paid for that job. I mean, it's $8 an hour, but that's still $8 going into a bank account. Yeah. Then he has money when he gets out too. Where's the justice in that? Yeah. I think I, I understand. This is the first time that I've, I've known someone to say that the, like personally known someone to say that the justice system does not, ugh, not that it doesn't work, but it, it like stuff like that is it, like it just doesn't make sense to me and I can understand from the perspective I know this isn't an episode about the justice system but I understand from the perspective where you know there's this theoretical idea that well we can rehabilitate but that's the criminal and they can come out different and we're providing them we're setting them up for life I'm like but you did a bad thing yeah like our criminal justice system isn't to serve justice it's for rehabilitation yeah which is so like, problematic we're better I, I I really like that you guys brought up the word rehabilitation because yes okay you know let's say you went in for something minor like you know you got into a car accident or you know you sold drugs I believe that those people can change right sure. like yeah. they yeah. got into the wrong crowd sure yeah but yeah. child rapists sexual offenders, murderers, do you really, really think that they change? No, I will tell you that they get worse and worse because they learn how to manipulate the system. Mm -hmm. I know for a fact that my ex is in there right now telling them everything they want to hear. He went to school for police foundations for criminology for God's sake. I am sure he is feeding them every single thing that they want to hear right now. Do they involve um, with this whole situation or now that he's he's in jail? Like, are there psychologists, psychiatrists involved? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Him? Yeah. So, so they have to like be able to identify like this manipulation, right? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. You would think, but then again, like look at Carla Homoka, for instance, she's out, you know, like there's other people that are out on the streets there's other murderers that have, you know, like there was this guy, for instance, this happened, I believe in Hamilton. He, he was domestically violent to his girlfriend. He got out on good behavior and he ended up murdering her. So like, it's just, it is horrific. It is so awful that that's what ends up happening. That those kinds of things slip through the cracks and somebody's life ends up getting taken as a result. Mm-hmm. Like, this is where I come into, like, I, I do think about myself in this perspective is that if, and when he gets out, who do you think that he's going to want to get even with? It's going to be me. I'm the one who called 911. I'm the one who testified against him. Like, I, I mean, that's something I think about every day. 
am I going to like, people have asked me, oh, are you going to like change your name from it? No, I'm not going to like, I'm not going to run away from somebody. If, and when that happens, then it happens. It's messed up that he got out of jail then in the first place, Mm -hmm. but Hey, like I, I can't control somebody else's actions. I don't, I can only control mine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You can only put yourself in situations now where like you're safe, right? You can do everything that you can do to protect yourself. Well, you know, they're like, well, you can get a restraining order. And I'm like, yeah, I'm sure a little piece of paper <laughs> is going to keep him away from me. Yeah. I'm sure that's going to put fear in him a hundred percent. I love how so many people have these solutions, like these, ugh, like laws do not apply to people who are consistently breaking them like yeah, they do not care it's a prison he doesn't <laughs> they care do not care them. they do not no, care no not at all I I think it's completely ridiculous that you're going to like somebody in a domestic violent relationship you're going to give the abuser a piece of paper and you think that that's going to make him stay away from the survivor of the domestic violence no, it's not. That piece of paper does nothing. People are still dying. That piece of paper is not saving their lives. Their lives are still being taken away daily as a result. A woman dies every week of domestic violence. Mm-hmm. Like that, that's messed up. And that's only what we know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I actually had, and I don't know if I make this about me for five seconds, but I had a friend who in 2016 was murdered. In Hamilton, so um, a coworker and uh, who I worked close with, who I was very close with, and um, he had previously been in the system uh, receiving support for mental health issues, but had he was known he was just constantly in and out of the hospital, in and out of the hospital, and you know was made his way into her apartment one night and they didn't even go to trial like there was such overwhelming evidence that he was guilty that they didn't go to trial but it does happen when you're saying it happens every day like it does happen every day and now this is my friend and Nicole's friend you who have experienced this and like there's not even a six degrees of separation there it's no common like violence against women the a broken justice system is it's 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 evident like we can't deny that it's there and people who haven't experienced it I think take these like, laws and rules and these pieces of paper and they're like yeah it works it works and you're like no it doesn't like it just doesn't <laughs> it doesn't no, it, it doesn't at all and I want to talk about the judgment too like so many people point fingers and, and judge and ridicule people that are going through domestic violence. Like they're like, oh, why do you, why do you stay? Well, guess what? There's something called separation assault that happens. And when you leave your abuser, that is the highest risk of death for yourself. On average, it takes a woman eight or nine times before she leaves her abuser because it is so dangerous. Like you have to have a proper exit plan. If you don't have that, if you just go to your friends where you know that they're going to find you, that's not good enough. You need to be in a shelter or the police needs to relocate you. Like that's what needs to happen. Mm-hmm. Resources yeah. really need to come together. And you know what? There are some police that, that don't take it serious either. Like there are some police that are like, oh, do, well, just leave. Well, no, it, it, it doesn't work. It's not that simple. 
Yeah. Especially if there's kids involved, finances involved, you know, it, it, you have to have the proper solution. You have to have the proper resources, the proper plan in place for you to get out. And it's so, I think it's so easy. I've heard this from other people. I mean, you hear it on movies. I've read about it. People say, well, yeah, why didn't you just leave? Just leave, just leave, just leave. Like, it's not that easy. It's it's like, this is your life. You're asking someone to leave everything that they know. You're asking someone, like you said, to leave their finances, to leave, like, perhaps this is the only, even if it's an abusive relationship, perhaps this is the closest relationship that they have in their life. So you're asking them to leave, like they're leaving everything that they know. Yeah. Not only that too, it becomes an addiction almost, you know, you get used to the abuse. You think that's what you deserve. You know, it's like, it's like a drug addict being addicted to drugs. It's the same thing. You get addicted because you think that that's what love is. You might not know any different because that might be the only relationship you ever had. Mm-hmm, yeah. Or, you know, your upbringing might've been that toxic. So then you yourself didn't have the proper resources to not get into a toxic relationship. Yeah. Yeah. The, the person's in a position where they didn't know any better because that's what they've learned. Mm-hmm. It's, it's learned behavior, right? What you see is what you know. Yeah. And it's sad to say that, but it's, it's the truth. And like, even for myself personally, like I have actually been judged as a result myself. Like people are like, oh, you didn't see this coming. <laughs> oh, like, yeah, <laughs> I've literally had comments like that from coworkers and stuff like that. And then I mean, it's so rude and disrespectful. And I, I understand, like, unless you've been through something horrific, maybe you just, you don't know, but you, I wouldn't walk up to somebody and say to them, oh, that, that black eye is your fault. I wouldn't walk up to somebody and say, oh, you didn't see that punch coming. Like, you don't, you don't see that to people. You just don't see those comments. You Mm -hmm. know, I, I really, I strongly believe that you really be careful with your words because words hurt Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like, of course I didn't see this coming. You, you want to see the best in somebody that you care about. Your, your mind doesn't go to, you're going to be a murderer. Whose mindset goes to that? No, no, no. You wouldn't think that someone that loves you, someone that you love would attempt to take your life like that. That wouldn't even be a thought that would pop into your head. No. no. So have, it's, oh, sorry. sorry. No, no, no. It's just, it's so disrespectful on so many levels. People really need to watch what they say and think about what they say before they say it. Mm-hmm. I can say I had a lot of people say to me, so like my relationship, it wasn't physically abusive, but definitely a lot of emotional and mental abuse. And um, so many people said to me, well, like at least he wasn't physical with you. <laughs> like that's anyway. <laughs> and I'm like, I, and I'm like, no, but at least physical scars heal like they heal a little easier I don't have to do anything and then they heal (laughs) I I, you know what I completely agree with what you're saying yes the physical scars always heal but the emotional wounds and the mental and verbal they always stay with you they're always in the back of my head you know I'm not gonna sit here and lie to you I'm, I'm not perfect I still have you know triggers and things that trigger me are like screaming and yelling and that puts me back in that situation where you know my ex was yelling at me and telling me to shut the f up and 
it, like, it's just, it puts you back in that mind frame. Like, for instance, like another thing that triggers me is the color red. I can't wear red lipstick. I can't, I work with kids and I can't do red paint with them. Mm -hmm. Like the red just really is a trigger for me because that was the whole apartment was red. Like the police even said that their boots were sticking to the floor because that's how much there was. Wow. Like, wow. I mean, there's always going to be that, that trigger. Like there's, so he had these boots and uh, he said that he stomped on the keys as well. And um, he had these boots and every time I see these boots on somebody, it's, it's a trigger. It's a trigger. Do you find that some days are more triggering than others? It like, it depends, but happens like, you know, it too. And like, I don't like anyone remotely or, or close in my space either. Um, that's something that that's challenging. Um, you know, I, I think that I know what my triggers are and I can, I identify them. And because I know what they are, it's, it's so much easier to take care of. Like, I don't, I don't use the color red. I don't, don't wear a red lipstick. Like I know. I don't know what I need to do um so I just I keep that in mind mm -hmm. no, go ahead. <laughs> no I was just gonna ask a question um so after you've mentioned your triggers and how difficult that's been um after everything that you experienced you know with the trial and and you know like being in like having gone through everything um what was the most difficult aspect of the event to process after this all happened um so I think it was after the trial had taken place that was probably like the worst of the worst like finding out all the information finding out how the deceased died um what actually happened what actually occurred having to process that after two years later was just it was horrific I did need a lot of counseling after that um it was just knowing that somebody was alive for a certain amount of hours and you just you watch them die I I just I don't know how you you do that and then take no responsibility and ownership and then and then blame it on alcohol I drink I've gotten drunk before I don't go out killing people mm -hmm. like alcohol is no excuse if you're bad at somebody, you have a disagreement, you have a fight, you walk away. It's, it's common sense. It's common knowledge. And the fact that you did what you did and, and you have no, take no ownership or response. Like he blamed me for why he did what he did. He was like, well, if you didn't call at that time, if you, if you did that, like, where, where's your ownership? Where's, where's your responsibility in this? Yes. Zero accountability. But I feel like someone like that will never, ever, ever. This is the ultimate act where you're not taking accountability. It's, it's, um, <laughs> it is. So after the trial, too, they, he had written uh, the deceased family a letter and he had written me a letter. And the crown attorney asked me if I wanted the deceased family, said they didn't want the letter. I said I did because I didn't, this wasn't a normal breakup. Like I, I didn't get any closure. Mm -hmm. So I wanted the letter and in his letter, in his words, he wrote, someday I want to make this up to you. 
no where you're like no (laughs) jesus what like the manipulation in itself right there oh exactly see like that's exactly what i mean right there wow (laughs) (sighs) yeah like uh, how can you how can you think that you would be able to have access to someone like that like after putting them through that I will say my emotions were really effed up after it all happened because mm-hmm. at first I didn't see the murder for who he was. You know, I saw the guy that I like cuddled in, in bed and, and laid next to. And so I did have some worry about him, which sounds so effed up. But now I understand domestic violence more because I'm like, they stick up for their abuser. And I know it, it, it's, different levels but I still have that like worry about like I didn't separate the two I guess correctly like I I saw them as two different people I saw Will and then I saw like the murderer aspects and it was just it was crazy but finally I had to like put it together and be like no he this is the person that did this is the person that did this horrific thing mm-hmm. and time to get there but I did like I knew that there was this I had to really remind myself that this actually happened because at first I like I didn't even believe that he was in jail at first like I had to have the police tell me over and over again that yes he's in custody he's in custody because yes the worry fear panic didn't come into place as well because he had a key to my house and I was like I was scared to go back to my own place. Like they had made arrangements and asked me to like stay with a friend for a while. They even suggested to me that I, I find a new place and I move because that would be what would be healthy for me, given that he's got my place a lot. Um, so that's, that's what I did. I ended up moving. Um, I ended up, you know, getting my feelings sorted out. And I, and that's part of my course. I, I really believe feeling everything that you need to feel when you need to feel mm-hmm. it. Um, when you run away from those emotions or don't feel it and you're not messed up because you still care about somebody that did something horrific like I had to learn that I had to learn to to process those emotions and then I had to learn to hate I I I hated him I I went into a stage where I I had this love for him and then I went into this stage where I had this absolute hatred I had so much anger inside of me I said to myself how could you love somebody like that you know, you go through all these different stages of emotions. It's it's like a whirlwind. It is an emotional roller coaster. Like you go from love to hate really quick. Mhm. Mhm. Oh yeah. Um, and I love that you said, like you stressed the importance of having to feel your emotions because I think as humans, it's just easier to push them down and move on and pretend like everything didn't happen. But that literally just shows up in so many other ways in your life if you're not processing those emotions. Yeah. Even if those emotions are effed up, I think it's important you feel that. Of course, you're always like, especially if you have kids with your abuser or et cetera, like you're always going to have that feeling that that's your child's parent. Yeah. However, it's, you know, identifying those emotions and it's coming to terms with those emotions and understanding that person isn't who you thought that they were. Mm-hmm. That takes time to get there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
it's not like your feelings are not an overnight thing. Like it's a process and that's a journey in itself. And that's part of the healing journey as well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you talked about um, how you felt your emotions and that was part of um, how you healed. What other steps did you take to your healing after you experienced this tragedy? So it was, it was difficult. Um, I mean, I came home and just wanted to sleep every single night. Um, I became like super antisocial where I was the most bubbly outgoing person. Like I would talk to anyone, everyone. Um, but I just became like very, very antisocial, right? I just wanted to sleep because I didn't want to have to experience everything. I didn't want to relive it, rehash it in my head over and over again. Um, so it was a couple months that I, cause I was working two jobs at the time and one of them was actually for good life fitness. And so I ended up going back to work in November of 2016. Um, and I, I did my first shift and then I was like, you know what, you need, you need to get back into working out. Um, I think that counseling and the gym saved my life and my support network. Those three things saved my life. I cannot tell you how vital it is and how important it is and how instrumental it is to get into counseling right away. And that's what I talk about in my course too. And I, and I give different links because I know, like, let's face it, a lot of people live paycheck to paycheck or, you know, like financially can't afford it because they have three kids or et cetera. And I think it's so important that people like such as myself you know, list those free resources that are out there because people don't know what they don't know, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I, I definitely think that it is vital. It, rather, you know, if you can't afford it, there is different resources out there that are free that will help you. There's government funds that you can apply for as well. And I just think counseling is so vital. Like you can sit there and you can talk to your friends until you're blue in the face, but there, and I'm not saying your friends are judgmental, but it's nice to get that outside opinion. It's nice to get that professional opinion as to what you need to do and how you need to move forward. And it's nice to have somebody that is like a sounding board and will just like listen to you. And I've, I've done MDMR and I've done all of that stuff. And it's, it's been so, it's been amazing. Our EMDR, sorry. It's, it's, it, that was a tool that was really, it, it was intense. Um, it, it helped a little bit for me. I mean, it wasn't the whole thing that helps. So they do like, they make you go into like the moments of your trauma and then they like tap you on your knees or, you know, tap you on your shoulder and stuff like that. And they, they make you go back and, and relive your trauma. And it's really, it's really in depth. Um, I mean, you really have to be willing to go back to those moments. Um, it's, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of self-reflection. It's a lot of digging deep and it's a lot too about acknowledging where your trauma actually started from. Like I said, at the beginning of this, my trauma didn't start in 2016. It's mm -hmm. a child. And that's something I had to be willing, um, to talk about and to address because if I wasn't willing to address everything, how could I heal? How could I get better? Mm -hmm. Yeah. What is MDMR? Um, EMDR, I think that's oh, okay. <laughs> um, um, so it's, uh, this thing where, like I said, you go back into, uh, your trauma, your experience and they do different things. So they'll like tap you on your shoulder. Um, 
it's just about going back and re reliving your traumas messed up as that sounds and they try to like when they tap you and stuff and or do different things like sounds voices etc um it's to picture your trauma but to kind of let it go in a healthy way so um, are you made to identify what emotions you're feeling like you know when someone taps you on the shoulder like I'm feeling feel fearful or um like saddened or something like that uh you don't really talk about that so much uh you mostly go back in in your head and you picture your trauma and then you know you're you're tapped and you cut it then you talk about what it is that you just just pictured and and how to kind of let that go are you in a state of hypnosis while you're there they're doing this what kind of your eyes are supposed to be closed um and you're just supposed to go back into your head so a little bit i would say yeah okay because you're in that state of your trauma again right and how do you how do you access it is it um certain psychologists it's, that it's, specialize in? it's in counseling yeah they do it in counseling as one of the options or you listen to sounds or stuff like that they'll put on sounds for you yeah, and you just get back into there and you talk about, you identify what it is that, you know, you're thinking about in your head. They kind of like walk you through your trauma and then you kind of talk about, okay, now we're going to place this in like a closet and we're going to place this in a box. And that's kind of how it's, how it's addressed. And does it help you by placing it in a box or in a closet? Does it help you like break down specific moments and kind of like, process them yes exactly wow so did the criminal justice system provide you with any resources moving forward yeah so I will tell you that I had an incredible team of detectives I mean I still keep in touch with them to this day Mm -hmm. um they they saved my life like honestly and I've had some like uncomfortable situations that I've been in um in the last couple of years where I was like I, I called them right away to address it. Like I had, I was at a bus stop late at night and uh, I was coming back from the gym and uh, somebody approached me and tried to like lure me into their car. So I immediately like, oh, that car was actually later in a sexual assault um, earlier that night. Oh so yeah, I've had different situations come up since. And there was this one incident too, where I was followed from not far from my house to a Starbucks. I was followed the whole way there. Um, and then I, it was a guy on a bicycle and I, I told them, and there was later another incident with this guy on a bicycle. Like, it's just, it's, yeah, it's messed up. So they have really been there for me and really supported me. Um, Cause I'm just so hyper vigilant now of days. Mm-hmm where like, I'm really, really aware of my surroundings, probably too aware. Um, Like I carry a whistle in my bag, like I have different strategies in my head. Um, But no, like they were an incredible team and still to this day, amazing. And they got me like, so there's like a counseling kind of service at the police station that gets in touch with counselors and then like sends you off to that counselor. And she was, she was terrific. And then there's also another process that you go through too, where a police officer will come to your house and do a safety check 
So I actually have, it sounds really messed up, but I have wood in all my windows. That was part of the safety check. Wood, like to keep them closed? Yeah. And okay. then wood, yeah. So if anybody tries to open my windows, they can't open them. Mm -hmm. um, and then I have like wood at my um, balcony door as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's such a good idea. Yeah, that's a smart idea. That is a smart idea. Yeah, and there's like different bells and different sounding alarms too that you can get. Um, so I haven't gotten those yet. I probably should. Um, but yeah, it's it's definitely um, it was an experience going through that. And and then there was one other experience actually the day that I went to the police station and I, they told me I could leave at any time, but I was like, I'm not leaving. Like I'm willing to give you every detail, every statement that you need. So there's a process where you have to get completely nude. So you have to take off all your clothes. They take pictures of everything. It was, I still keep in touch with the female detective that was in there with me. She was, I think that she's the one that got me through the process. Like. Nathan sent me an angel that day and, and that was her, I, I won't lie to you. Um, she was just so supportive and she was like, you know, you're gonna get through this. Like, I'm here for you, I'm here for you. And like, I was just, I was crying. Like my eyes were like, I couldn't remove any of my makeup, right? I had like mascara running down my face. Mm -hmm. I, I couldn't touch my face. I, I couldn't even go to the bathroom um, because they wanted to swap me. A really intense um, process, and I'm thinking to myself in the back of my head, if it's like this for me, what about a 14-year-old or 15-year-old mm -hmm. or an 8-year-old? I have to go through that process. I can't even begin to imagine how invasive that must feel for somebody mm -hmm. whose brain isn't fully developed yet to have to go through that process. Um, yeah, but I get it. They want, you know, they want to collect evidence. They want to get everything together that they need to, um, and then. So because I was strangled, and I, I have to tell you this, like people don't realize how significant it is to go and get yourself looked at after you've been strangled. Because A, you can have brain damage and there's so many long-term effects. Like there's there's vomiting, there's fevers that you get, like it's crazy the different symptoms that can come up with strangulation. There's memory loss, so many things. So the police said to me, like they had an ambulance come and meet me at the police station, but the ambulance driver even said, I highly suggest that you go to the hospital and get checked out just to make sure that there's no damage done. It took them three times at the hospital to get this camera to go all the way up my nose. It was such an intense thing, but I, I can't stress it enough how important it is that you know either that you have damage or you don't, even the smallest, strangulation like even if it lasts for a second you still need to go and get checked out i, ca I cannot stress that enough how vital it is hmm. wow that's good to know i i, I, would, I would not have no i would yeah. not have thought that because i know like if you're is it one one minute two minutes to your cut off to your cut off it affects your brain but i never yeah, would have thought i never would have thought anything else you need to go and rather it's seconds minutes and get checked out because there's so like I didn't know about all these side effects that come with strangulation that I know about now like it's just it, it's crazy so they took pictures of my neck um it was it was an intense process but I, I can't stress it enough like they 
got me into counseling so fast. Like they were in, incredible. Um, I have a parole person that I talk to um, if I have questions and stuff like that or something comes up um, as well. So yeah, it's, I have a parole package now um, and I have like all the letters, all the documents I get like these information booklets and stuff like that. So I'm glad to hear that there is support, like that the justice system does offer so much support for the survivors. I, I will say this though, there's one effed up thing that people don't realize. And one of them is that they cut me off after a certain amount of counseling sessions. Oh. Yes, because they don't want you to be in counseling forever, right? But hmm. they don't seem to understand that this is a life sentence. I'm not saying that, you know, you need counseling every single day or every single week, but when you get those letters, that's a trigger that yeah. takes you back. What yeah. happens if somebody gets one of those letters and they kill themselves over it? Like who's to say, Yeah. like that counseling session, that one counseling session could have saved their lives. And that's why like proceeds from my book go to survivors of crime. Like they ended up using some of my money to get a service dog for some survivors of crime. Like I, cause that was the goal. Like when I did this book, I was like, you know what? I'm not here to collect all this money. That's not my goal. My goal is to like, if that person, that 15 year old or 14 year old needs one more counseling session to get by and I can provide them with that, then that's it. That's what I, that's what I want. That's what I, I need to know. I need to know that somebody else is, is being helped and getting what they need so they can move forward with their lives. I don't want to hear about a suicide or a suicide attempt. Yeah. Oh, that's so selfless of you. Like here you are continuing to still like not make it about you and like you're, it sounds like the way that you are healing through this is by helping others heal. Mm -hmm. Yes. Absolutely. I, I have to, I have to inspire other people. I never want people going through the darkness that I felt, or I never want somebody to feel like they're alone or by themselves. I, I want to be that sounding board, even if they just need a listening ear. I, that's it. Yeah. Like, I just want to be that person that brings some light at the end of the tunnel for them. Because after experiencing such horrific events you know people need support they need mm -hmm. guidance they need somebody that's just going to listen to them and, and not point fingers and, and not judge them you know my goal when people come to me with any kind of trauma is to get them to a healthy place get them to a healthy mindset you know I'm a strong believer in, in self-affirmations and mm -hmm. providing them with that tool um you know helping them to understand and get their self-esteem and self-confidence and self-worth back, like helping them to find, okay, what, what motivates you? What is going to get you up in the morning? You know, maybe it's, you know, going to the gym, maybe it's going for a run, maybe it's going to do a kickboxing, maybe it's just going for a coffee with a friend that, that gets you up in the morning, but mm -hmm. finding that and finding those self-affirmations where you can at yourself in the mirror and you can say you know what I am proud of myself I am a warrior I am strong I am courageous I am brave those are the things that I really want to emphasize to other people I really want them to look at themselves and I want them to be proud of how far they've come I want them to see their worth and their potential because they have it in them they just need to find it and if 
if I can be that support to help them find it, then that's it. Oh, that's beautiful. That's, those are a lot of really good um, kind of first steps as well that you just listened to um, healing and you've got a lot of really, like you've, uh, you've undertaken a very courageous journey and you, you've done a lot to really heal yourself. Um, what would you say was the greatest roadblock to your healing? I think the greatest roadblock to my healing was survivor's guilt. Um, I, I hated myself for being alive. I hated myself. I thought it was so unfair that I was alive. I felt so much guilt for crossing the street. I felt so much guilt for going to work. I felt so much guilt for just taking no breath. I felt so much blame. I put so much blame on myself. I blame myself for everything that happened. I, um, I went into a deep, deep depression where I just, I felt so unworthy. I felt so unlovable. I felt like I just didn't deserve happiness. I, I didn't deserve to be here. And I mean, that's something too that I'm still working on to this day. Um, so I've been with somebody for the past eight months and he's, he's amazing. He's great. And sometimes I don't know how he puts up with me, but he does. Mm-hmm. And uh, probably the first real love that I've actually had. And uh, he's, he's even identified this with me. He's like, you know what, Ashley, sometimes I think that you don't think that you deserve to be have love or happiness like it's something that I still struggle with and the fact that he can like identify that and and say that to me and like understand that that's how I'm feeling says so much and speaks so much volumes to him and and being patient with me and and understanding that that's how I feel um is amazing like he is he's really supportive of all this too like on the anniversary of uh the tragedy he actually gave me a card and wrote it and how proud Nathan would be of me and you know like I I do these podcasts and stuff because I know and I have a book out and all of this stuff but you know what I know that if roles were reversed and it was my life that was gone I guarantee you you guys would be sitting here having a conversation with Nathan because he would give the shirt off his back for anybody he would he was the same way as myself and so I know that he would turn this tragedy into so much strength. Um, I don't have a doubt in my mind about that. And mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm so grateful and I, I'm so thankful that, you know, I, I'm here um, now. Um, I feel grateful for all these amazing opportunities, um, such as writing a book, such as, you know, having somebody in my life that I literally just actually introduced him to um, my grandma and my aunt and my cousins and they adore him and um he's just and he's so supportive of everything he's like the first person I send a blog to and he just he tells me how amazing it is and he thinks that I have the biggest heart in the room and he's just he's just so supportive and I'm so thankful and you know like in all honesty I dated a couple people after Will but you know I still had my guards up I I was still like, and for me, I guess, because of everything that I've experienced and gone through, I was always picking the players. I was always picking the toxic ones. Um, 
I seeked a lot of unhealthy relationships and that's because that's what I, that's what I knew. Right. And so I really had to dive into that and into counseling as well. You know, every single relationship that I've been in, I've been cheated on. Um, so it's hard to, you know, trust. Um, but this, this guy is just, he's, he's phenomenal. And he's just, it's been such a, yes, there's been bumps in the roads and stuff like that, for sure. I'm not going to lie. Like I'm not the easiest person to be in a relationship with. I, I know that, um, you know, I have work to do every single day, but his, he's just, he's been, he's been great. Like he's been very understanding, very patient, very empathetic, um, you know, just been there for me. And I'm, I'm truly uh, grateful for that. You know, I, I honestly had given up on the idea of love. Like I had come to terms with just being on my own for the rest of my life and, and being independent. Um, not, you know, because I was so busy, I had a set schedule for myself. I had a set routine for myself, but I, he came into my life unexpectedly. Like, I really believe it's not when you're looking for it. And I guess he knew me back in like 2014, which I wasn't even aware that we had a conversation, but he was aware. And um, anyways, uh, he reached out to me on Facebook and he told me how much my videos were helping him. He's like, you're helping without even knowing it. And then we um, went out for some drinks. He asked me if there was anything that he could do for my book and for everything that I was doing. And I said, "Um, well, why don't we go out for some drinks? So we did. And then, uh, yeah, he was such a total gentleman. Like he, I asked him back to my place after we had drinks and he sat on the whole other side of the room, didn't even kiss me. And, uh, then he said to me, he's like, is it okay if I give you a hug, please? Thank you. And so he like gave me a hug goodbye and, uh, yeah, that was it. And then he's like, you know, I really wanted to kiss you, but I didn't want to like overstep the line. Um, so yeah, he's just, he's so sweet, like a complete gentleman, like on Valentine's day, for instance, this is crazy. We went out for drinks and then all of a sudden he pulls something out of his jacket. Um, and it's a Pandora box with like a beautiful locket necklace. And I'm like, no way. Like I wasn't expecting that because he had given me a card and printed off all these pictures for a frame. Oh. And, uh, yeah. And then we're at the restaurant all of a sudden he pulls out this box it was so sweet so I, like I've never been a fan of Valentine's Day up until I guess now <laughs> but yeah I, I'm, I'm really happy and I'm really happy with like you know I'm, I'm scared and I felt overwhelmed about this whole idea of launching a course but Neil believes in me so much the guy that's behind my book and and my YouTube channel and everything he was like no Ashley I think that this is really good and then like eventually I'd like to get you into coaching um because there's been people that reached out to me lately that said like why aren't you doing coaching and I'm like mm-hmm. what like not me like that's crazy and yeah and it's crazy because in the summertime I went out with some friends um for a drink and for some reason the server felt like she could confide in me and uh she had lost her boyfriend they had been dating for two years and he died. And uh, it, that's too, it's been like another huge thing to not take anything for granted. There was somebody that I volunteered with at the hospital actually, and her husband was just found unresponsive. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just, 
I can't, I cannot imagine going through that. I couldn't imagine that at all. Like, that's why you cherish every day. Like, there's been people on TikTok who have three kids and who lost their child. I, I can't imagine going through such a horrific event. I think that that takes so much strength. Um, losing your significant other, losing anyone for that matter. Like grief is an awful, awful thing to have to go. And I feel like as you age, it gets harder and harder. I mean, I just lost, so her name was Helen and she was like practically a mother figure in my life. Like we'd go out and we'd have dinners every week at her house. We'd go to the market. Like we spend so much time. Like I took days off of work to go to her, um, like she was diagnosed with lung cancer and it spread up. She died last January. And that was, that was a really tough pill to swallow. Sorry to hear that. Not going over there. And I felt, again, I felt this guilt. Like, why can I see her? Like, why can I do more? Like, you know, and I know I'm not a cancer doctor. I know I'm not a specialist, but it, it broke me. Yeah, you always just want to I feel like as you get older, I feel like grief just gets harder and harder I mean it doesn't get any easier for sure yeah yeah it's hard when you like build your life around Mm -hmm. people and then you lose them it's hard to feel like you can move forward that's exactly it like I don't I give people so much you know respect for or you know losing your child I I don't know how you do it um I I think it's the hardest thing that you can do but it it takes so much strength to go through that and to, and to rebuild yourself and restructure yourself and, and go through all that. It's just, you know, it, again, it's all about turning that pain into strength. Like, you know, the deceased's family actually has a website up for him. So they have a foundation in his name, which I think is remarkable. The work I've been on the committee myself, actually, to plan different events for the community um, in honor of the deceased. And that alone is just, it's amazing that there's still that legacy for him and there's you know his parents are so proud of him and I and I know he's looking down and he sees that and I know he's like truly honored for like all these events that are in his name and the memorial fund that's in his name like it's it's going to help other people and and that was his purpose in life and his drive in life too was to help other people and he's he's doing that right now with his legacy yeah yep definitely carried on oh man yeah so so what have you learned about yourself um because of going through this experience uh I have learned a lot about myself um I learned that I had to rebuild myself all the way from scratch I really really had to adjust and I had to really take the time to grieve and to feel everything that I needed to feel um I've gone through PTSD depression anxiety and like I was talking about this with an officer last night actually and and PTSD you know is something that I thought like war vets got and I like I thought like you know first responders get I never thought in a million years that I would tell you right now that I have PTSD like I was with my nurse practitioner actually because she wanted to see me weekly and I sat down with her and we went through the test and uh, she said to me, um, yeah, you have PTSD. And I had to 
come to terms with that. I mean, I knew I had a little bit of anxiety in the past, but nothing to the extreme that it is now. I had to like really relearn myself. Like I can honestly tell you that the Ashley that was in that apartment that day, she she died mentally, emotionally, physically. Like I had to rebuild myself all over again from the ground up. I am now like more vigilant, like I said. I'm, I'm more aware of my surroundings. I, I had to like reevaluate every single relationship in my life. I had to look at things for what they truly were. I had to cut ties with toxic people. I had to evaluate my life all over again and say to myself, like, what do you want going forward? What do you not need going forward? It's a lot of like engagement and it's a lot of like really looking at your life for what it is and for what you want it to become. Um, so I really had to, you know, go through the emotions. I had to really decide what was going to serve me and what was not going to serve me. Um, I had to look at my life for everything that it was and, you know, for everything that I wanted it to be going forward. Um, like for instance, like I don't go running on trails anymore. I go running in, in public areas now. Um, like I've just, I've changed a lot of things in my life. I've, you know, changed my routine. I've changed my structure. I've, I've changed my thinking process. Um, you know, I'm more like guarded than I was before. Um, I know what's healthy for me now and I know what's not healthy. I'm, I'm slowly learning this. Um, I know what I deserve and what I don't deserve. Um, I'm, I'm learning that sometimes that I have to just, you know, put myself first because um, I can't help other people unless I'm helping myself as well, right? Like if you're unhealed, you can't help other people. You can't just put a band-aid on it and think that it's fixed, you know, you have to do the work, you have to put in the effort, you have to, you know, be dedicated, not only to other people, but you have to be dedicated to yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, first and foremost, that's so important. Yeah, kind of circles back around to what we said in the beginning, you've got to put yourself first, like, that's exactly what self-worth, yeah, and it takes a lot of work, like you said, a lot of work, it's not easy, but how much are you worth to yourself? exactly yourself yeah yeah I can't imagine how hard it would have been for you to basically rebuild yourself and I commend you because I think you've done such a great job with it like you've been able to rise from the ashes and really take a a a terrible tragedy and really um like form it into something great like you are helping so many people Mm -hmm. And also simultaneously, like, not just take your, like, you, you were processing a tragedy and rebuilding yourself at the same time. Yeah. Like, that's just mind blowing. Like, that takes incredible strength. Incredible strength. Yeah. I just admire you so much. Well, thank you so much. But I, I have to be that sounding board for other people. Like, I can't sit back and, and not do anything. Like, I'll tell you this quick story. There is a girl actually, and she was like probably maybe 14 or 15 years old. And she was at the back of the terminals um, at, my, at my mall. And she pulled down her pants, started urinating. And, 
you know what? I didn't think to myself, oh my God, this girl's on drugs. I thought, oh my gosh, what if this girl has, you know, been drugged? Like somebody drugged her, somebody gave her the dairy drug or something. You know, that's where my mind went to. So I fall, I said to myself, wherever this girl goes, I'm following her and I'm going to get her help. So I told like the driver, I said, like, listen, if you don't call 911 right now, I am like, she started foaming from the mouth, everything. So I waited with her until paramedics arrived because there was no way I could just go home that night and, and not like that someone's sister, that someone's brother that, you know, like I couldn't, I couldn't do that. I couldn't do that. I couldn't just leave her. Um, that stuff didn't sit right with me. And I, I just, I so believe in like doing the right thing and, and being there because you don't know what that girl's going into to just leave somebody in, in harm's way when she's 14 or 15 years old. Like mm-hmm. if something happened to her, I would feel horrible. So I, I needed to get her to, to safety. Like that's, that's my goal in life is to get people to where they need to be and, and to help them in a safe manner. You're such an ambassador for everything that is good and right. <laughs> I think like to, you said like you're vigilant obviously you're vigilant to see that to not just like I mean how many of us would approach someone who who has you know in public pulled down their pants and is and is urinating like you would probably avoid that person because like you said you would think that they're on drugs you would think but you have the ability to put yourself in their shoes and think not oh this is wrong but there's something not right about this and to to step in when somebody can't can't um step up for themselves is so important so yeah you're you are an ambassador for everything that is good (laughs) yeah and like so much but I you know 14 or 15 years old like and then my mind goes to sex trafficking and all this Mm -hmm. horrific stuff and I'm like I can't leave somebody in harm's way like that's that's not who I am by any means like there's been other people that I've that have been screaming and yelling at themselves or walking almost in traffic that I've like stayed and like called 911 on because I I just I couldn't I would feel horrible if anything were to happen to these people. Mm-hmm. Like I feel like I really need to step it up and and be that person, be that driving force that you know what maybe I I got that girl help and you know what maybe she's doing really well now. That that's what I want, you know. I, again, too, like I did a placement at a crisis center and I worked with teen moms and I had a 14 year old with twins. And then guess what? Years later, she came back to the gym that I worked at and she signed up for a membership and I saw how much change was in her. It was phenomenal to see her go from this 14 year old with twins to seeing her be like, I'm here for a gym membership. Like what an amazing transformation that was to watch and to see like it's just it's it was an honor and to to sit down with those teen moms and to like I was teaching them basic manners because they didn't even know please or thank you was in their context you know it it was just it was such an incredible experience and to change their perspective of thinking too because so I talked to them about my bad relationship in college and how it was abusive and they're like oh you're a college student you're successful they're like, bad things don't happen to you. I had to change their minds at their way of thinking because they just thought that bad stuff only happens to them. 
Mm -hmm. Wow. Mm -hmm. This is the thing. Trauma doesn't care if you're upper class, middle class. Trauma does not discriminate. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I've, I've heard a lot of times in different contexts, you know, like you said, oh, you have a college degree or people saying like, oh, you have a, you have a good job or like, uh, not necessarily personally, but oh, like you live in a big house, you live here, you drive this, you have this, you have that, that, that doesn't make you exempt from trauma, from tragedy, from these experiences. Like we are all humans. We are all walking the same, same green grass. Like it's, there's, it doesn't discriminate. Like life does not discriminate against people. No, it's happening to everyone. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with what you both are saying. Like people are so unaware. Um, People lack, lack knowledge, you know, they really do. Yeah. So if I, there's a big lack of, like you said, knowledge, education. I learned a couple of years ago in, um, so I'm a teacher in a PD session. We learned about sex trafficking and our, our speaker was a 23 year old girl who was picked up literally down the street from me. And it's a pretty affluent place. Like it's happening all around us. All it around is. Us. It is. And you know, it, with you being a teacher too, I'm sure you've noticed this, but like with COVID, like, yes, COVID's serious and everything, but my thought just didn't go to COVID. My thought went to, oh my gosh, those people are now stuck in abusive yes. situations. And I, I have conversations and say, all the time. And say yeah. that student that you teach, maybe that was their only lunch, the only meal they had that day. And now they're at home for weeks, months on end, listening to abusive, toxic parents fighting, or, you know, they're being in violence themselves and not having food to eat, you know, school might've been the only safe place for them. Yeah. And now they don't have that. Like that's where my mindset went when schools were closed, when all that stuff was happening. That's a conversation that uh, my coworkers and I, and or like, so social workers and I, like we had all the time was these poor kids who are like, school is their only safe haven. And now they're stuck at home in these very terrible situations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, went with COVID was yeah. just, like violence skyrocketed. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, hundred percent. It did. Yeah. So how can listeners learn to recognize domestic abuse and violence and what can they do about it if they're experiencing it or are in similar situations or know someone who's experiencing it? I think the best thing that you can do is be supportive and not be judgmental and and pointing fingers like why don't you just leave why don't you just leave like people need to realize like that's the highest risk of death for someone to leave their abuser. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that people need more knowledge and more understanding and more awareness around it you know, like I said before, yeah, like COVID was important, but people weren't thinking about, you know, the death rates going up with domestic violence. People were so focused on this epidemic, uh, this other epidemic that we were having that people were forgetting the importance and significance of violence and how awful it is and how, like, there are so many people that are going through it that we don't know about. Um, I just think getting that insight and, and getting that clarity and being that non-judgmental person. Like you want somebody who's in a domestic violence situation. You want them to 
feel comfortable and feel secure when they're talking to you. You, you just need to be like a listening ear. You just need to be that sounding board. That's what somebody in a domestic violence situation needs. They don't need ridicule. They don't need, why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you doing that? That just creates more stress, more tension, more anxiety for them, more hopelessness, more despair. We wanna use positive language when we're talking to a domestic violent survivor because they are survivor. They're going through stuff that is so awful. And so they're being ridiculed. They're being name called. They're being pushed. They're being shoved. They're being beaten. And we need to be mindful. Like you should be setting that person some resources. You know, you should be being the best support that you can be. Because if you're not willing to step up and, and be there and gain that clarity and insight, then what, what are you doing? You have to be willing to just listen. Just because mm-hmm. all somebody who's going through trauma needs. You know, we're so quick to point fingers and to give all this negative feedback. Where's the positive feedback? Where's, you need to be saying things like, you know, you are strong. You are brave. You need to be putting those thoughts in their head not why why aren't you doing this why aren't you doing that you know we need positive language positive enforcement you know and sending that person a couple of resources of local shelters in their community that's what's going to help them that's the best thing you can do is help them take action in a healthy manner you know get them the resources they you know in the best way that you can by saying why don't you just leave it's not a healthy solution that's not creating a plan that's degrading them that's making their self-esteem their self-confidence their motivation go lower and lower and lower we want to rise it back up we want to get them to where they need to be not where we think that they should be and you said like using language and like the things that we say is so important i think that's the difference between like raising up a survivor and uh, creating a victim is the language that we use. The, yeah. the how you like if you're giving someone resources, if you're telling them that they're strong, like you're empowering them, like they're realizing they're a survivor, they can rise about it, but rise above it. But if you're just saying like, why wouldn't you leave, or like, oh, just do this, or just do that, like. There's so many, like, that's not empowering. That's just, like you said, like, it's making you, giving you more anxiety, making you feel more guilty. Like, how is that helping you? It's, there are other people, like, it's not. You know, you want to help them rise above the situation. You want them to see their worth. You want them to see their potential. You want them to get out in a safe manner. Because too, if you, if you rush this, it could end up tragic. Mm -hmm. So you want to make sure that when that person leaves, they're leaving safely that it's not like telling them to come over to your house when they've been together with that partner for 12 15 years that's they're gonna find them Mm -hmm. that's that's not helping them you want them to go to a shelter if they're an immediate danger you want to call 911 if they're an immediate danger Mm -hmm. you want to get them that that to that safe zone you know, and unfortunately that safe zone might not be your house, your place, because that abuser knows where you live. Mm-hmm. And you have to keep all the ins and outs in, in, in mind, you know, like this situation, if it's your cousin, if it's your aunt, if it's your uncle going through this, 
you want to put yourself in their shoes and you want to think, okay, how can we solve this problem and get them out in a healthy manner and a safe manner? It's so important to be that soundboard for someone. And you have to be empathetic and you have to be caring. And you have to just communicate in a respectful manner. You know, talk to the, allow them to address how they're feeling. Yeah. Don't take away those feelings and emotions from them. Yeah. And I'm sure like it's probably so difficult for someone to understand if they've never experienced mm-hmm. um, a relationship with any kind of domestic abuse. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think it's so important just to listen mm-hmm. first and foremost and not judge and not try to create um, recommendations for situations. Yeah, because you don't want to escalate the problem either yeah yeah you mentioned empathy like Nicole and I talk about all the time how people lack empathy people can step outside of themselves out of their their lives and feel for someone else people don't take the time to do it like we need to be more empathetic of each other because I mean not everyone experiences tragedy and I think I think or not everyone experiences you know we all experience different types of struggles in our life but not to the same degree or not the same kind and I think that just perpetuates this this um kind of environment or atmosphere of judgment and silence and victimization when you don't have people who are empathetic because then you have no one you can turn to you have no one that understands you just like no one who's empowering you like it's it's so important to be empathetic like if if I could wish one thing on the world it would be that people could be more empathetic and more kind and more understanding Mm -hmm. exactly like kindness goes a really long way and people just don't understand that like because someone posts a picture on Facebook everybody thinks that they're the most happiest go lucky person because they smile but what's really behind that smile and not to say that everybody's like that but you know what paying it forward like kindness goes such a long way like i will tell you two incidences so i was actually shopping in the grocery store twice and almost cried both of these incidences both times um, so I had someone approach me and she's like, I know who you are. And I had no idea who this woman was. She was actually, um, on the jury. Um, wow. Yeah. And she uh, approached me in the grocery store and she's like, I needed to, I needed to say this to you. Like, I admire your strength. I admire how incredible you are. Like, I'm so sorry for everything you had to go through. She like, just that right there. Her just saying those words made my day that much brighter. Mm-hmm. Like she inspired me. Mm-hmm. And I talked about that actually in my book. Like, what an incredible, like, she didn't even have to acknowledge me. But the fact that she did, that is an act of kindness in itself. It's so important for us, like, you know, like we have that strength in ourselves. We know who we are, but to, for someone to go out of their way and show you that kindness where they are validating what you already know about yourself, it kind of like takes the weight off your shoulders to like carry 
like to be strong all the time where someone's like I see you like it's so important to be seen that's what I'm trying to say like yeah. when somebody sees you you're just like wow and you just appreciate it so much because we don't take the time to see each other no and it, it takes nothing to go up to someone and say hey like I'm acknowledging this about you like, yeah really it doesn't but it can mean so much yes to that person yeah, and then I had another person approach me and she was like um I want to thank you like you looked after my kids and I also want to say that I commend you and I commend your strength. I saw you on the news and I was just like, oh my gosh, like, thank you so much. Like just totally not expecting, like I'm totally just like wanting to go into the grocery store and grocery shop. I don't think twice that this stuff is gonna happen, um, but it does. And it just, it makes my day. It really makes my day that, you know what? I can have that much of an influence on somebody else that a total stranger thinks so highly of me. Yeah. Like it just, it speaks volumes to me that you would, you know, go out of your way and make a point to, to say those beautiful, amazing, like that inspires me even more to help other people when you mm -hmm. get that kind feedback. So do you have any final advice or words that you would like to give our listeners? Oh, I love this part. <laughs> I get asked this a lot. <laughs> yes. Um, to never, ever give up on yourself, to know that there is hope for a better tomorrow, to understand that all the pain and everything that you've gone through has made you that much stronger. You know, you'll never totally get over your trauma, but you can and you will get through it. But you have to be willing to take all the steps that you need to take. And healing is messy. Healing is not an overnight process, but you can't run away from your healing. And please, please, if anybody's listening to this and thinking about turning to the streets for drugs, et cetera, please know that you are so much better than that. You are so worthy. Other people are counting on you. And someday that horrific story that you went through, I hope that you would share that with other people because I think everybody who has been through some horrific trauma and can stand up and, and share their story and be open and honest about it. I think that takes so much strength in itself, but I think that that's also a teaching lesson and a teaching tool for anybody else that is going through it because there are so many people living through this. There are so many survivors and warriors of crime every single day that experience it. You know what? Some make it out and some don't. Unfortunately, some end up getting murdered in the process, which is horrific to even think about, to comprehend. I am so lucky that that didn't happen to me, that that wasn't my experience, that I was able to get out. But I had to really come to terms and really feel that because I had so much guilt and so much weight on my shoulders and hated myself for such a long time. I had to come through that hate and I had to find love in myself again. I had to develop that relationship with myself. And I had to be open and honest and be full and true to myself first and foremost. And I think that you really need to be willing to rebuild and restructure and reprogress and really look at your life, really evaluate, really focus on you. That's not being a selfish individual. Take the time that you need to heal. I'm still on a journey of healing and self-growth. I'm still learning every single day what it's like to be the best version of myself that I can be. So that way I can be at my best to help other people. I still have weaknesses and I try to turn those weaknesses into strength. I go and I, and I ask for help. I ask for, you know, advice. I ask myself 
what I can do better so I can move forward in a healthy manner. It's all about being engaged. It's all about self-awareness. It's about having an attitude, a mindset of self-growth. It's being able to look at yourself and look at the situations for what they are and coming out of them and showing, you know, there is light at the end of the tunnel. There is that we all go through storms in our lives at some point, somehow, but it's looking and it's overcoming and it's, and it's shining and it's finding that spark in you again. What makes you happy? You know, it's having those people in your life that are just going to constantly build you up. And, and that creates strength in itself. You know, it's having hope for a better tomorrow, a better future. It's having that law of attraction and putting out those positive thoughts, putting out those positive affirmations, you know, looking at yourself for the warrior that you are inside and out and, and believing in yourself and knowing and believing that you're unstoppable first and foremost. Because if you're able to get through something so horrific, you should really look at yourself as a shining star that you are. Because, you know, going through something so horrific in your life and being able to look at it for what it is and using it to help inspire other people and to, you know, motivate yourself is a beautiful thing in itself where you can look at your situation and you can look at your story and say, you know what, it got me to where I needed to be. And you know what, now, I'm using that story. I'm using my lessons in life to help other people, to enrich other people's lives. And that is my only goal, first and foremost, is to inspire as many individuals as I possibly can. Wow, I tip my hat to you. Like, <laughs> you have 100% inspired me. <laughs> oh, you're so sweet. Thank you so much. You guys have inspired me too by like, I commend you guys by doing this podcast, you know, you're helping so many people and you're getting amazing stories out there. And I think the both of you should be so darn proud of yourselves for doing this. You know, that's, it's amazing. I am so happy that you guys are doing this and having this beautiful, amazing platform and, and bringing people together and shining light on stories that, you know, can really impact other people's lives. Oh, thank exactly. you. Thanks so much. <laughs> you like you've actually like rendered me speechless. I feel like I have mm -hmm. goosebumps. Um, like you've taken such a tragic situation and really just made the most of it. Mm -hmm. And you've grown into such like a, a beautiful, strong, and courageous woman. And I admire you so much for that. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much. I, I, I had to, I had to for other people. Other people need me and I need to be that sounding board. Oh, you have such a big heart. Yeah. Oh, thank you guys so much. So do you like, look at what you guys are doing. Like, <laughs> phenomenal, honestly. like I really have so much respect and admiration for you both. Thanks, Ashley. Thanks. You're welcome. So we will link in our show notes and on our Instagram page, a link to your book, mm -hmm. your Twitter, your YouTube page, and your Facebook page. Is there anything that we missed to where listeners can reach you? My, my TikTok. Oh, um, do you want to just let our, we're, we are going to link it, but do you just want to uh, let our listeners know um, uh, your names on your socials? Sure. 
So on Facebook, I have my Ashley Inspires page. I also have my group Finding Strength Through Tragedy. Um, I also have my um, website, ashleyinspires.com, where you can not only purchase my book, but you can also read blogs. I have my YouTube channel, Ashley Inspires. Um, and I also have my TikTok account, Ashley Inspires. And then I have um, a Twitter and I have um, an Instagram page as well, which my team takes care of that part. I don't have anything to do with that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't really know Instagram or Twitter that well. Um, so that is Ashley Inspires as well and Finding Strength Through Tragedy. Awesome. Thank you so much. We will definitely link those yeah. in the show notes. Well, thank you so much. I am thrilled to have the opportunity to be on your podcast. And my course is also will probably be launched in the next couple of months or so as well. So awesome. Yeah, we will. We yeah. will loop in our listeners once your yeah. um, once your course becomes available because I'm sure a lot and, of people will be interested in it. Mm-hmm. So thank you so much from the bottom of my heart for taking this opportunity and for doing what you guys are doing because it's helping so many people. Oh, yeah, we're you, we're so honored that you shared your story with us today and that you are brave and courageous and inspiring every single darn day of your life. Well, thank you so much. That means so much and speaks volumes. So I. Thanks, Ashley. Thank you. No problem. That's it for our show today. Thanks for joining. Remember, you can always reach out to us on our socials, on Instagram at sisterhood underscore of underscore healing, or on TikTok at sisterhood of healing. We love to hear from you, so please reach out to us at any time. Thank you for journeying with us today. We'll see you next time.